0: go. So excited to be here again on the Christian Podcast. Today we have a very special guest joining us from Wheaton, um, Illinois, up there close to Chicago. And well, she wrote a book called The Not Done Yet, Reaching and Keeping Unchurched Emerging Adults. And her name is Beth Severson. I hope I said it right. If not, you would correct me. How are you doing, Beth?
1: I'm doing so great. Thank you. And um, it's actually Severson. None of my students ever get it right. And I have them call me Dr. Seves uh, for short. But thank you for having me today, Beto. This is awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, I called you Dr. Seves, right? There
1: you go. You can call me. You can call me Beth. How's that?
0: <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> our names are very similar because mine is Beto and yours is Beth. So <gasps> only we... one letter there. <laughs> right. Should be. See, I want to say a little bit about you that I have here on the on the back cover of your recent book, and it says based on her ex- extensive research. A scholar practitioner, Beth Siversen, outlines a model of how to engage and retain millennials and Generation Z in the life of the local church. Emerging adults are likely to experience spiritual transformation in churches that welcome them into community, provide meaningful opportunities to make a difference and invest in their development. And then it says here a few things about um, kind of like your, what you've done. You know, you are an associate professor of Christian ministries and director of the Center of Christian Ministries and Practical Theology at North Park University in Chicago. And you were the previous director of evangelism for the Evangelical Covenant Church. And you've also served as associate pastor at churches near Kansas City and Milwaukee. There we go. There
1: you so, go. What a so, mouthful, huh?
0: <laughs> it's so good. Uh, I I well, when I was reading the book, it gave me like this broad scope of a research, and it brought me back because I studied communications back in Mexico, and I failed at research. I almost failed two times, and I actually we say in Spanish we say I pass. By a belly, <laughs> which I don't know if it makes sense, but it's pasé de panzazo. It means like you barely made it; like you had to jump across the goal to make it. Uh, the first, my first research teacher, she even called herself a word I'm not gonna say, but starts with a B, and she <laughs> say, "I know people say that I am this, and I am, and you're gonna <laughs> have a hard time with me." And you know, usually they say, "Teachers don't fail you, you fail yourselves. It's not true. she <laughs> failed me <laughs> and and um and then I went with another teacher, and then I pass you know by a belly. but what an extensive and awesome research you have done in this book. Can you remind us just really quick what what type of of research uh this is, and why does that matter mm-hmm.
1: So this is a qualitative study, which means you do a deeper dive in your research on a narrower topic and a narrower group. So I did do a quantitative survey uh, of my small denomination of 875 churches to find these churches that were doing an outstanding, effective, having effective ministry among young adults. So once I found 19 to 20 churches, then I interviewed the lead pastor um, for a couple hours, the emerging adult who had come to faith in Christ at that church uh, and had incorporated into the life of the church. Um, There were qualifications that those churches had to meet. So I had to narrow down and find them and then um, really dug down deep in each church to find out, What's happening in that culture, in the leadership, are there any patterns there among these different churches from both urban, suburban, uh, monoethnic, multi-ethnic uh, communities, some with um, mostly male leadership as far as senior leadership, but a couple had female leadership. Just trying to find out, is there anything that we can transfer, anything transferable at all, any patterns across the churches? And thank the Lord I found some. Or I should say he pointed them out to me. So yeah,
0: <laughs> great
1: Easy research. That's that deep dive qualitative research.
0: Qualitative research, that's so good. And and you have a, I mean, you describe kind of the the non and the done journey. Would you tell us a little bit about what that means? You know, maybe for for people that are listening, maybe they don't even know that they might belong to one of these categories. But what is the the non and the done?
1: So that's so true. So, um, done's that's just kind of a nickname for people who've dropped out and I say dropped out of church and I'll just add on you know who've been there done that and for whatever reason it's not working for me or um yeah I'm kind of disillusioned in that church or it doesn't attract me or draw me in any way I don't really see any need for it and I'm pretty much just kind of indifferent towards church hmm, take it or leave it but mostly I just leave it in my life right mm-hmm. and then the none are people on um so we had just have the general, we have the um, census right now, correct? It's going out right now. So along with the census is the general social survey. And on that survey, people who identify as not religious in any way. They have no religious affiliation. They're religiously unaffiliated. Those are nuns.
0: Mm, too, yeah. too. And, and that and, number
1: is growing in the United States, uh, North yeah. America, and particularly among millennials, and Gen Z.
0: Wow. Yeah, I, I'm a little fascinated, as I was mentioning even before we, we started this conversation, by by this idea because, I mean, this podcast is being heard all over the world, and I'm not super familiar with what's happening in other places other than, you know, maybe China is booming with Christianity and stuff like that. But but there's something, ah, it almost breaks my heart when I see what's happening here in America, I've been here for 15 years, and I used to think uh, when I lived in Mexico, I used to think, "Wow, America is just full of Christians. You know, everybody's Christian, and they even have a Bible belt." You know, uh, <laughs> and then I came here, and I mean, it's no, it, it, nobody's hiding it, right? We're in 2020, and things are difficult. People are walking away from their faith. I have, um people on on our podcast previously who have said, yeah, Generation Z and millennials, they're going out of the church in droves, right? And really your research is not about, um, you know, why are they leaving, even though you mentioned it a little bit, but it's what are the patterns that can help us bring them back into community and into a solid atmosphere where they can maybe find faith again, or maybe even for the first time. Uh, would you tell me a little bit about, because you mentioned, um, you say, bright spot churches. Would you tell us a little bit about what you discover, what that is, how we can translate it?
1: Sure. So bright spot is used in a lot of like the business sector literature, the leadership le- uh, literature, where things are going really right, really effectively. And um, in the Growing Young study from Fuller, which is another excellent study that's Uh, probably one of the largest studies we have on retention of young adults, why they stay when they grow up in the church and why they leave. So they also talk about bright spot churches where things are working and they're effective. So that for me and in the work I do kind of as a missiologist studying intercultural studies, I'm looking at churches that in this post-Christian, kind of post-modern era. And we have pockets of that around North America, right? It's not like everybody's there. We have different cultures. But where um, people are either saturated with the church, been there, done that, don't need that. Or the other part that's growing so quickly in the U.S. are people disaffiliating, you know, with church, Um, have never been to church. Yeah. So in that kind of climate where churches are having an impact, we're in a climate where we're seeing, you know, 30% of young adults to 60 dropping off between 18 to 23 who were church, and then from 23 to 28, another kind of 30%. So we end up with like 61% of people who went to church are no longer going, and only about a 6 to 8% increase in those years, 18 to 28, where they're increasing. That's where my pastoral heart went. What's happening where it's increasing, right? Is there anything that we can learn from churches that are doing it well, where they're drawing young adults and they're actually not just keeping their own young adults, they're drawing young adults who have never been to church or who've said, done that, I'm not interested.
0: Okay. So those are bright spot churches. And you mentioned the range of their age, of this age and of uh, young adults, kind of like a little bit undecisive of what to do with their faith between 1835. And then you narrate this experience that you had going to this thing called Burning Man. Uh All I know about the Burning Man is like, there's this structure burning on fire somewhere in the middle of, it seems like in the middle of the desert. Yeah. And it looks crazy. But can you tell us a little bit maybe why you went there, what that is? Why was it important for your research to be in that sure, place? Certainly.
1: So um, I have uh, been researching young adults and their spiritual and religious lives since around 2012 and um, eventually did a Ph.D. in this area and a dissertation on the churches reaching them. But I've also been doing the research for a while just on this kind of age of um, emerging generation people. Now for us, that happens to overlap with Generation Z and millennials. And what we know about that age group from 18 to 29, 18 to 35, what the academic research literature tells us about them is that, you know, they're trying to sort out their identities. They're a little focused on themselves during those years because they're trying to figure out who am I? Where do I fit in the world? Who's going to be my life partner? Where am I going to land with a job? They have a lot of transition going on. And I mentioned these five characteristics of emerging adults because I'm going to share the story from Burning Man in a moment, that I think really illustrates it. So, so I'm looking for my self identity. I'm kind of focused on me. I'm in a lot of transition in between us. I might have a girlfriend then I don't have the girlfriend then we get back together. Hey, maybe I went to state school, right, and uh, went off to university for a year or two, dropped out, maybe partied too much, but whatever, ran out of money. I dropped out, moved back home. Uh, now I'm working as a barista, and actually I'm going back to junior college. So you kind of get all this transition in between this journey uh, for who I am, how, where I'm going to land. And uh, in the midst of all that, I think also that religious identity is more and more delayed mm-hmm. as our identity in life is delayed. So I think they go hand in hand. So back to Burning Man. Burning Man is a self-expression arts festival. Started in California, oh, probably around a quarter century ago. Moved to Nevada several years ago um, to Black Rock City. Now there really is no Black Rock City. It's just a playa. It's just desert. But what happens this very week, what is it, Wednesday? Mm -hmm. Usually Uh, For three years when I was doing research out there, I would arrive on Wednesday. A whole team would have arrived at Burning Man two weeks before and set up roads in the desert, road signs, 50 porta-potties every so often, big center tent called Center City uh, where I could get only ice and only a cold or hot drink. Okay, all kinds of activities are going on at Burning Man and 70,000 people will arrive in caravans tents and they will spend labor day weekend an extended period from wednesday probably through monday or more living there lots of partying going on lots of searching um it's just a fascinating sociological study of what actually happens at burning man Um, but some uh, dissertations on burning man have said that people uh, are on some kind of spiritual journey may not be what we think of as a christian spiritual journey right? But people there are, they might go to some three or four tents that are called, um, Oh, they're, 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 I can't remember what it's called. It's some kind of spiritual place where I'm going and Oh, sacred spaces. Sorry. The tents are called sacred spaces. And it's one of the camps, maybe 300 people are living in that camp, but they have a menu bar. And you might go in and you wanna find out more about astrology or you might wanna find out about reggae or you wanna find out some kind of spiritual experience that you wanna encounter something spiritual, right? My, I have rocks in my pocket, I'm gonna give you one and there might be a special force, somebody believes, between you and me and this rock. I mean, the spiritualities are just very diverse. But interestingly, in my research and my fellow colleagues, many of the young adults there, and they're people of all ages, are actually coming out of Mormon, Christian, and Judeo faiths, mm. and um, there are a lot of eclectic spiritualities. So another word in my research, I know you wanted to discuss today, is bricoler. Mm-hmm. What's a bricoler?
0: What's a bricoler?
1: Yeah, and <laughs> bricolage, right? So this French sociologist used the word to do. It's a it means tinkerer, and he uses it to say people who cut and paste and put together Mm. certain things to make them work. So another sociologist applies that to religion. Um, And after the baby boomers that many young adults cut and paste and patch together their religion from what we have so much available to us today online from all different kinds of spiritualities. And that's what you find at Burning Man. So I was interviewing them to find out more about what they believe in.
0: Wow. That's that's so interesting. Yeah, the bricolor, its almost like <clears throat> like a mashup type of spirituality, right? I, I mean, I like this from Christ, maybe, but I like this from Buddha, and I like this from you know Hinduism or things like that, and maybe that you create your own philosophy. Yeah, so, I,
1: I kind of call them crystal pagans, uh, wow. using it in a very contemporary way. That wow. you know, I might have come out of a Judeo-Christian faith, but you know, I love African drum music and, you know, there's a little of this going on, a little paganism, they won't call it that. You know, I'm using names and models that people might not use of them themselves. But as we try to come up with social descriptors of them, mm-hmm. um, all kinds of interesting things are happening at Burning Man. So I'm not encouraging people to go there unless God really calls you to do ministry at Burning Man. But let wow. me give you one more example at Burning Man. Sure. Every year there is a brand new... um temple that's built and at the end of burning man it's burnt but if you go into the temple they're beautifully constructed you will find an altar there you'll find people praying people meditating you'll find shrines maybe someone got a very unkind letter it will be pinned up maybe someone's lost a friend a wife a mother there's pictures of those people and so there's some kind of spirituality some kind of for some a catharsis of pain for others a I just wanting to encounter something beyond myself. There.
0: Wow, that's so interesting because it really portrays this this sense that they are seeking, right? They are seeking for something more. And I think as humans, and I mean, you are, a, you have way more education than I do in in sociological studies and this uh, maybe psychological and all of that. But it seems like as humans, we are always trying to discover more to our humanity, right? More to who we are, more to our existence on Earth, more to, like, the bigger questions of... I mean, even when you look at science, you might discover, okay, yeah, maybe we came because of a big explosion, but why, right? Why why does that matter, and why does life happen, and why do we have this ability to even conceive more life? So there's, like, these bigger questions that I feel like people are are yearning for and they're looking for inside and they're really trying to discover. And I think, you know, maybe that's why I was like, intricated by this Burning Man experience. Like, what is that? You know, why are people going there? And, and it's really a spiritual journey. You know, they are.
1: For some, for some, I think you're absolutely right. And then I would say for others, it's a big party. (laughs) 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 yeah It's just a big party. So, uh, 70,000 people, a lot of different motives for going.
0: Mm -hmm. And Uh, as I was saying, some of them are seeking, you know, maybe just partying or seeking for more spiritual uh, experience. This reminds me of, there was this guy here in Orange County called the O-Seeker, or he went by the, by the the name (laughs) O-Seeker. And he was in a publication called the OC Weekly, which is a weekly publication, kind of like, uh, you know, what's going on in the neighborhood, you know, music events, uh, coffee shops, even, you know, where can you get uh, things like marijuana and things like that, right? So anyways, there was this guy named The O-Seeker, and I read it a few times and was so interesting. I don't, I never knew his background because he's almost like an anonymous um, person. hmm but it was so interesting because he would narrate every week going to a different church, to a different congregation in Orange County. And then describing his experience almost like from an outsider. But I I love the term. I mean, it was clever, you know, the O seeker, because at the same time that he was almost like mocking and making fun and and mm-hmm. just trying to be silly with... With his approach to church, you know, like, oh, I went to an older congregation, I went to a hipster congregation, that type of stuff. Uh, even the name O-seeker, it seems like there's there's something more than just showing up and yeah. trying to connect. And I think that's a little bit of what you showcase in the book. That really when people are, are going to churches, and I think you even mentioned that you went through a similar experience, right? Like the O-seeker, you went like from church to church, trying to see, okay, are they going to greet me? Like what's going to happen when I go there? Can you tell me a little bit about your own sure. uh, church experience?
1: So this is my own anecdotal research that uh-huh. I have also done. Um, just working to help churches be more guest friendly, sort of mm. as a consultant. Um, and we, those of us who are Christians, uh, who are listening, and those of us who belong to other kinds of religious Groups, Uh, we often think that our own group or church is very friendly and very guest welcoming in a warm environment. But what often happens and is the case is, yeah, we're really friendly to each other, but not to the outsider. Um, So you think about that person who arrives, like I'm coming in as a, you know, I look like I'm a single woman, right? I'm walking in without any children, without my husband. And over and over again, I would hardly be greeted, maybe at the door, greeted my hand shook, but not always, and given a um, you know a program. But many times uh, an usher would not seat me. Uh, I'd have to find my own place and people would keep saying, oh, I'm sorry, this is safe, this is safe, this is safe. You know, And you're getting closer and closer to the front and more and more uncomfortable as a newcomer. And then when I did sit down, very seldom did anyone right there in the pew turn around or next to me, greet me. I might get a smile. And afterwards, again, I'm all by myself, and no one comes up to talk to me. So I share a story of, you know, an hour and a half of that at one church, leaving. Now, imagine, uh, you know, I have to almost zip up my self-esteem in that situation, <laughs> right? And I'm a I'm a Christian. I've known Jesus for a while. Um, I love the local church, blemishes and all. Uh, it's the Bride of Christ, but... I am so attentive, right, to those who don't have a voice in the church. I mean, that's just how I am built. And thinking about women, other research, I think it's the Rayner study, shows us that women are often the mother is the key to the family. And she's going to be bringing friends and family members. She's the main inviter across many cultures. Mm -hmm. And so if I am not included in any way um, encouraged uh, welcomed, asked a question, invited to come back in a warm way. We have not only lost me, we've lost my network, my wow. family. Even if I only brought one, the church will multiply, right? And people would come to faith in Christ, hopefully. So we need to take, if someone has taken that step of coming in, what a huge step they've taken. We need to be invitational. Everything about our church and especially one another Big smiles, greeting people, not fake, just genuinely reflecting the character of God. He is so hospitable to us.
0: He is. And uh, well, I want to tell you almost like a funny story. But if anything, when people show up to a church, now they're going to do a review on Yelp and Google, you know, (laughs) so even even if if you're not thinking about, you know, welcoming them there to their church. Think about your review on Google and Yelp, right? I have, um, well, here at our church campus, we have six different churches that meet on the same campus. We have a Marshallese church. We have several Hispanic congregations. Uh, We have the one I I meet at, it's called Palm Harvest. But then I I went to Google, you know, to kind of see, check out our reviews. And there's this guy, you know, that, I mean, he's he's just complaining because he's a neighbor, but he's saying, this is not a Christian church. This is a Zumba place because, you no, know, the, the Hispanic church, they have a Zumba class and they're trying to connect to the neighbors and stuff, you know, no, this is, these guys are loud, you know, just complaining. But it just, I mean, it's almost like a silly story, but it's true that people, when they come, you know, if anything, maybe they'll, whatever experience they have, it's going to end up somewhere on the internet, whether it's on their Facebook page or on Google or Yelp, they're going to, in a sense, review their experience and say, you know what? I showed up at this church and I'm done, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> I didn't want anything to do. And maybe that's that's the opportunity. And I think um, where I'm trying to get at is, is that hard, because really when I read your book, I think I see a... a Passionate heart for the unchurched. I see a a passionate heart that really wants to welcome them, but more than just welcome them into our physical churches, is welcome them to our faith, welcome them to the Lord, welcome them to to a journey with Christ, which could be life transformative and life changing. Can you tell me a little bit about where that heart comes from? You know, I, I mean, some of your bio, it's you've been associate pastor, but why that heart for emerging adults? Where's that come from? I mean, are you a mother? Where, no?
1: <laughs> I am a mother. I have three emerging adult daughters uh, wow. right in this lifespan stage and two son-in-laws and a fiance. Uh, so I have a huge heart um, for this age group. I also live in community. My husband and I, we're just passionate about young adults. So, uh, Yeah, there's four or five young adults that live in our home. We have Tuesday night gatherings, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I will also say my own personal faith journey is coming to faith during these years where I had been churched and did not have a good experience. Um, I'm actually very eclectic. I came out as a little girl and I was Catholic. Then my parents divorced. And that's how I became a Protestant. My mom went back to Protestantism. And basically she said, I'll drop you at the Catholic Church or you can come with me to the Protestant Church when I'm eight. (laughs) That's how I became a Protestant. But um, I have family in both. So huge heart for folks across different kind of faith journeys. And then um, have studied the disillusionment among youth towards church and institutions during that 18 to 30, early 30s stage of life. So um, my journey was three young adults, three women pursuing me, you know, week after week in friendship, even though I was a party girl and I would laugh at them and I'd say, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm having a great time. They did not in any way step away from me. They kept saying, hey, you want to go out for dinner? Hey, you want to go study together? Hey, we're going to go do this basketball game. They were a little safer than my friends and they were a little more genuine. I mean, I felt like they really cared about me. Um, and if I were out doing some destructive behaviors, I don't need to name them all, you know, they didn't judge me. They just kept staying in friendship. So finally they wore me out. And one time they kept inviting me to this Bible thing and, you know, they didn't get offended when I laughed. I said, Let me go to this Bible thing. Are you kidding me? But I went, I mean, like I wore out and I just thought I'll go tonight and then I can tell them, you know, I'm good. Didn't work for me, but I'm so happy for you. So I go that night to this Bible thing of college students and high schoolers, and what happens? I have never seen compelling Christian community before. Wow. Like people really caring about each other over a meal, over you know. I've never seen worship in a way that I could relate to. You know, it's not the organ, it's not um, a cappella, it's you know, it's not all those formal liturgies. It's more just heartfelt expression, people closing their eyes, just entering in, leaning in, just kind of a raw experience I'm having in a way many young adults experience today who describe their faith journeys. And um, they were talking about the Bible, scripture, like it really mattered and was relevant to their faith. And I think I just was so intrigued and it was the beginning of my journey. You know, I started... I would say the Holy Spirit began to draw me to himself, particularly at that moment in time. And I continued on that journey.
0: Wow. And so you're saying this happened when you were younger?
1: I know. And I'm ancient, right? So some things might be similar, but I would say, yeah, this happened in my um, young adult years.
0: Okay. so and then how is how are you helping your own kids Maybe beyond I don't know just how how do you help them have their own journey and maybe at the oh, same yeah. time being a parent, kind of like allowing them enough space, but at the same time, I don't know, maybe bringing in your own your own journey as something to maybe be inspired by how do you do it
1: well, first of all, in my particular culture um my children have been raised, indep- you know, to be very independent. Like I've applauded that. I've encouraged it. I've tried to give them, my husband have tried to empower them to take leadership uh, at younger ages, um, but we did send them all up to college. And um, I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong, our involvement in their families, in their lives, um, we're all very, very close. Everybody speaks their mind in our home. Uh, and they don't always agree with us and they have total freedom to do that. Um, I think, you know, God is working in all our lives at different stages. We definitely do not share all the same convictions. And that's the question I have for the Holy Spirit. When I get to see the Lord face to face is if we have the same spirit and we are winning Christ, why do not we have the same convictions at the same time? Wow. So yeah, there's those tensions. There's the uh, also as a mother, you learn, um, You, at least for me, I feel that I have learned in parenting at this stage when they get over 18, 19, 20, and I don't expect everyone to grieve. I don't expect this is correct across different cultures, but to share my opinion when I am asked by my children.
0: And only then.
1: So not to be constantly telling them what I think they should do. I had 18 years to be parent, coach. Now I'm mentor in many ways. Not best friend at all. I'm just seeing we're very close. It's more of a, uh, when they invite me, mom, what do you think about this? Or we're in the middle of a big discussion at the table. You know, I may not say what I think right away. And then eventually, mom, what do you think? And I'll say, well, you're probably not going to agree with me. But I'm not afraid to say what I think. But I'm not going to be constantly telling my young adult what to think, because they're going to need to differentiate from me. And if you look at the literature on spiritual lives of young adults, many times they're differentiating from their parents through church because they think it's one of the ways they can get away with, right? Oh, They yeah. know they're not really pleasing mom and dad by not going to church, but maybe it causes less tension than other things. Yes. So they're finding their own way and um, not everybody is where they will be either.
0: That's true. Yeah, and I've seen, I mean, it's like I was saying, you know, this is, this is, it's almost like everybody knows, you know, everybody I talk to is saying same thing, you know, yeah, the, the, the youth is walking away and things like that. Um, and I find similar patterns, you know, even here with, with our pastor and sometimes their, their children and, you know, the elders and their children not really being involved in the church, but that's, I think that's so key, what you said, and and I think I read it in the book, too, that sometimes the going to church disaffiliation seems like the least piece that can hurt. But but also, almost like the opposite happens in the spiritual heart, right? Because I feel like in the spiritual heart is like no, but you, you're you not walking away from church. You're walking away from God, you know? And, and in a sense, it almost feels like you're walking away from me, right? Like you're tearing something apart. And well, I mean, I'm not saying this is the experience for everybody, but it's something I've maybe noticed, you know, and I, I think there's, uh, uh, and really, again, what I love about the book is that I, I almost like see your heart trying to pour out for churches to, to, to be concerned in a good way about how to approach uh, engaging with emerging adults.
1: That's right. right.
0: And you have like five, at least from what I saw, like five almost like main approach that we can have for churches. Can you mention a few of those and how those can help?
1: So this is, I think, the heart of the research. There's lots of other, I think, um, information that would be really helpful for people to think through in the book but what I did find across these churches was this pattern of what I call invitational practices some will be very familiar familiar to us and others we kind of have to sort through in our culture and so even as I share them in a moment I will say I know I kind of even know which ones you're going to push back on not necessarily you Beto but some of our listeners I get that I totally get that because um there's at least three different cultures that I describe in the book. that are going to have a problem with some of the research, not all of it, but some of it. So just before we even start, please know, I know that. And what I ask people to do is just listen and then be attentive to the Holy Spirit. Uh, what of any of this research could work in your church and might the Lord guide you to implement? And I'll be very honest. Um, there is not a Hispanic, Latino, Latinx church in my study. I just say that flat out. But I'm in a denomination that is, um, has many such churches. And I have spoken in many contexts. And many of my students probably have, are from this particular ethnic, ethnic background. And when I speak, they will line up to talk to me, the young adults this is my experience, this is my friend's experience. What can I do in my particular church to help in these ways? I'll have young adults from more liturgical backgrounds who will say the same thing like, you know this won't all work, but there are a few things in here that I think would really work. So I hope that intrigues you enough now I'm going to start to maybe just lower our audience, any barriers right away to just listen and know that I get you that, You might say, I don't think we can do that here. But what could you do? So what were those five kind of invitational practices? And I named them all ice because actually it's a handle to hang on to and uh, easier to remember. And it's actually what's happening. And the first one is initiating. People in these churches had relationships. They had initiated relationships with people who are unchurched. it, and it's not like they have their church life and their unchurched life. They're who they are all the time. And um, so in those relationships that are very deep with people who don't go to church, they're not afraid to say, I'm a Christian. Or when it's appropriate, no bashing, and no shoving down your throat. But when it's appropriate to say, you know, I'll pray for you. Or to connect um, the experiences, connect the dots. The experiences my unchurched friend has had with maybe what I just heard in uh, Sunday school or what my pastor just said and connect dots for them. Oh, wow, you know, I just heard a message on that and it was so helpful. There's two main points. Can I share that with you? You know, I mean, I'm just being vibrant in my own faith, right? And I'm not talking about this all the time. Just as the Holy Spirit prompts me, just as life goes on, um, I'm, having, I'm doing life with non-Christians. Make sure you have some in your life, <laughs> initiating. Okay, so I'm doing that a while. Well, it's really important that people have a Christian community, right? So they can come to faith. So eventually, when the time is right, it's inviting. And I think of inviting in two ways. Extending invitations to church. And most of the time in my research, it really was extending the invitation to the main service which leaves a question, how inviting is the main service for unchurched people, which I want to address in a moment, um, but inviting them. So let me tell you a quick story. I love stories.
0: Yes. I? Okay. Yeah, I love so, stories too.
1: <laughs> okay. So I hope the book is full of stories just so you're hearing the stories of the young adults transforming and the church is making a difference. We need both those stories. So um, I'm thinking right now of, um, Yeah. Let's start with Michael. So Michael's in the Chicago area and um, very interesting. He, he's never been to church, but his mom was a churchgoer and she got pregnant in high school. And pretty much the church had nothing to do with her after that. She didn't get help. She wasn't in community anymore. And you can imagine the script, the narrative about church that both this young woman and her son subsequently believed about church. Church is not for people like me. And what else? Church is judgmental. Mm -hmm. And if emerging adults hate anything, it's judgment, right? They're sick of being judged. And you won't find any bashing of generations, millennials or Gen Z in this book. That's not what the book is about. So young adults felt really judged. So now he's gone through college and after college, uh, he's got a new girlfriend and she goes to a church. It's a multi-ethnic church. And she invites him a few times but he's not interested. And, you know, she's being careful how far she's going in a relationship with him, but she's really trying to get him to come to church. And, um, and, but she really cares about him. And so he gets in a job he absolutely hates. And a whole lot of emerging adults are in that situation too. We're all those years of college or training school or whatever, or maybe I didn't get the privilege of going to college and I'm stuck in this job. I'm stuck here and they're hurting and she he just gets one to the point where he hates his job and the travel so much he's just broken and she says you know I think Peter my pastor I think he could help you he does a lot of like one-on-one with people would you be interested and so she invites him to come to like a Sunday night dessert thing and just meet Peter so it's church he comes and um They meet Peter, and Peter says, hey, you guys want to get together uh, maybe in about two weeks, and um, we'll just have coffee together? So they do, and eventually, uh, Michael starts meeting with Peter one-on-one, maybe once a month, every six weeks, and his life begins to transform. He is not a believer, and yet his lead pastor, and he's not coming to church every week, so he's really on the periphery, if not outside the church, but his lead pastor is investing in him, mentoring him, even though he's not a believer, spending time with him, and eventually his life begins to transform. She's also invited him to her small group. He's coming to small group and experiencing Christian community. It's vibrant, compelling. He's not a Christian, and yet he's included in Christian community. And what happens in those communities? Oh, Loving on each other, talking about their week, talking about God, maybe talking about the sermon, doing Bible study eventually. He's reading the Bible with other people. They pray. He's praying. There's worship there. He's either observing or participating, and he's getting to do what I call, I told you about this identity formation stage. He's having time inside the church, inside community to kick the tires, look around, Try it on. Does Christianity fit me? Do I identify here? Do I want to commit to being a Christian? Now that's just one person's journey and I have so many I wish I had time to share, but you begin to see these practices. So first of all, someone has initiated in the church a relationship with Michael. Mm -hmm. She's very invitational and she invites him into church. Her pastor is very inviting and spends time investing in him and She includes him, which is the third eye, initiating, inviting, and then including in Christian community in her small group. He's included. Now, young adults generally come in three ways after they're initiated with and invited. They're either included in Christian community, it might not be sequential, or they're invited into service. Many times they're like, they come to the first Sunday service and somebody says to them, hey, you know what we're doing this week? We run this homeless shelter and we could use people helping with meals tonight. You want to come out or Wednesday night, we could really use your help at youth group or wherever, never unsupervised. But that young adult is just scooped up, invited, not pressured. That's the other barrier for young adults, judgmentalism and pressure. Don't pressure me. Wow. So somehow these churches are invitational without pressuring, but they're seeing jump right in with us. We could use your help if you'd like to. Anyone here, you don't have to believe in Jesus. Anyone here can enjoy community and can enjoy serving. Okay, so serving, I'm using that word as involving people in a way that they can contribute. And young adults, in order to feel like they belong, they want to contribute. They want to bring something. They're contributors. They aspire to make a difference in the world but they often don't have the opportunity. And what these churches are doing is they're reaching young adult aspirations. You can make wow. a difference here, right? Okay, I want to give the last eye. So we've got initiating, then I'm inviting, and I'm also inviting them into an invitational church culture, right? Like uh, people tweak things a little bit. They might tweak the sermon. Hey, you might be wondering out there why we are um, going to look at this ancient book this today, the Bible. I mean, like, like over 2000 years old. Why would we look at this? (laughs) Well, seriously, because over the last people have looked in these pages for wisdom, comfort, hope. And that's why we're going to look at it today. Just speaking to unchurched people a few times in the service to include them Get rid of that churchy language. It's a little tweaking. We're not really creating seeker churches as much as we're creating invitational churches where non-Christians kind of see some signage almost. It's almost like, oh, Mm -hmm. that's why we're doing this. Oh, I get it. Um, We do all this liturgical practice. Why? I'm not from a liturgical background, but I'm just saying maybe you are and you're listening today and you're thinking, oh my goodness, we memorize, we sit, we stand. Well, you can use some humor at the beginning of the service. If you're here for the first time, you might be wondering why. We get up, we sit down, we say these prayers, we kneel, we whatever. You know, it's because we found these ancient practices. Um, they te- We feel like they draw us closer to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of prepare us to hear from him and to be more attentive to him in our life. So you don't need to do it. It probably seems really crazy to you and we laugh at ourselves, but... That's what we do. We just want to make sure you understand. You know, just a little humor, just a little explanation. Okay, so we're invitational. Our church is invitational. Um, We're inclusive. People are invited in to come. If you like this, come join us with that, Uh, whether it's community and small group setting or some other kind of community, um, whether it's including them and then involving them in service. And then I shared what Pastor Peter was doing. Once people are invited and they're on the church radar and they're included and they're serving, what happens? The church reciprocates. They invest in you. Hey, here's this curriculum. Hey, do you want to go to this conference with me? Hey, there's this great podcast we're all going to talk about. And I am getting, network- yeah, this time. I'm getting networks of new friends, right? Relational networks and people are investing me, in me. They notice me, they're caring for me. Um, they're doing one-on-one with me. Hey, let's, let's um, debrief how, uh, that Bible study we just did together went. Let's talk about that because next week I want you to co-lead with me. What? Wait. Well, you know, I'm not really a Christian yet. That's okay. You've been watching how I lead. We'll do it together. You're just going to ask some questions. I I know now this is going to feel a little edgy to some people, but I'm just saying, pray about what can you do to find places in your church where an unchurched person could serve. Could they serve on the tech board? Could they... Uh, pass out uh, shake a hand at the door and young people wanna see young people like them on the journey. So having somebody on the platform and having an usher, it's important that you've got some young adults where people can see them. Okay, so those are the five eyes. And the last thing I'll say is in the center of those, if you think of a circle of five practices, inviting, um, initiating, inviting, including, involving and investing in the very center is immediately Churches making a difference and impacting young adults, they're not letting young adults come and navigate that church alone. It's like, what's the shortest distance between two points? Many of their stories, the first day I came, somebody invited me to do this, to do that. Asked Mm -hmm. me to serve, invited me to their small group. When I got to small group, they said, hey, you know what? A whole bunch of us play Frisbee. You want to come play ultimate Frisbee with me? They just kept including inviting and investing in me and not letting me hang around for three or four weeks and then say, this is not for me. Nobody said hi to me. Nobody's including me in anything. I can't find my place here.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend, a good friend. His name is Carlos. And he came from Guadalajara to live in Michigan. And then from Michigan, he came to Costa Mesa, but I met him, like we grew up together in Costa Mesa. I mean, in Guadalajara many years ago, but now that he's here again, it's so funny because he's just so joyful and inviting. Like all of these that you're describing is like him, but just those are his characteristics of how he is. But I love it because one time we're sitting actually at the beach with a group of kids and we're trying to create community around surfing. I don't surf. I just show up and like the, the beach and mm-hmm. bring in my boogie board and stuff. But really trying to bring a community together where, hey, can we can we spend some time with a few kids that maybe they're trying surfing for the first time? Well, guess what? We have a few people who have the knowledge and would love to share of their time with this younger, um, with younger kids and then teach them, you know, spend time with them being on the board. But then when we show up, my friend came, he brought his two uh, emerging adult daughters And it was so funny because he, you know, we're talking about where you come from and things like that. And he said, well, in my culture, we always include first. Like we welcome you and then we no, when then we figure it out, you know. (laughs) So it was funny because even his younger daughter's boyfriend was there and he came to visit for the summer from Michigan. And he was there and like, oh, kind of like the boyfriend, you know, he's just been there for like a couple months because that that's almost kind of like our culture, right, and I love how you have been talking about there's different ethnical backgrounds, and you know maybe this won't be like so specific for a for a type of church, but these are some some ideas that we can maybe be inspired by or maybe try or maybe even see if part of our culture already has this embedded into who we are right. Mm-hmm. Cause uh, like my friend, he's like welcoming all the time, including, and even my wife, you know, I would think she's an initiator. She yeah. loves talking to people and I'm like the one that's afraid. I'm like, ah, I'm even like this. I love cause it's like, we're talking about a book and, but if you would tell me, God talk to the, like, if, if. If I would meet you in the street, I would probably not talk to you because I'd be like, no, I'm scared. Like, I don't know her. You know, like, who is she? Right. And my wife is like talking to the person, whoever it is on the street, on the school, whatever. Always talking, always initiating. I love this practical, um, invitational practices. I think people can be inspired by, if you know, people that are listening, go check out the book, The Not Done Yet. Um, Reaching and keeping on church emerging adults with Beth Severstein and I probably got it wrong again. <laughs> Severstein. No worries. No
1: worries. <laughs>
0: this is uh, phenomenal research you've done. I think it's going to be so helpful, and I love how also you you have mentioned. Okay, don't just like look at the book. If you are a Christian, if you if you are following Jesus, I think there's the there's the Holy Spirit to guide us. And you have mentioned it like again and again through this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I want to point that out because I, I think that's... I, I believe it. You know, I believe the Holy Spirit points us to truth.
1: Yes.
0: And even like you were saying, you know, why, why do the convictions come at different stages and points of our lives? Mm-hmm. Well, because... I don't know, but that's how the Holy Spirit is always working to reveal truth, truth in ourselves, truth around us, truth in nature, the truth about God, in 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 all of our in our atmosphere everywhere, and mm-hmm. it's about paying attention. So if you are a member of a church, of a clergy, of you no, know, you're a pastor or you're a church leader. I think that would be like the first invitation, you know, invite the Holy spirit to guide you. And then once he guides you, well, maybe he guides you to grab a book like yours so that you can be inspired to have even more ideas. I love how also you said, there's tons of stories in the book. Um, and I love it, you know, cause it, it's almost like tangible. We're not just saying, oh, okay, this is a study and this is, this is what, no, these are stories of real people that have experienced transformation or journeys that we can look upon and maybe start to see those stories in the people around us. And that is my hope. And I think this is great. Cause uh, like I was saying at the beginning, I don't know necessarily where the church is at globally, but I kind of see what's happening here in America. And I want to be inspired by the stories of transformation. Mm-hmm. And even if we can learn you know, from, from our fellow brothers and sisters around the world that maybe have showcased these five, um, eyes, right. And I was even like talking to Brian Sanders a couple weeks ago and he was saying, no, some of the people in the, in the South, in the global South, it's almost like this is their nature, you know? And now when I, I have this like almost sociological terms. It's like, yeah, I think, you know, sometimes the churches in in Latin America or in the global South, they have been by nature, they have been initiating, inviting, including, investing, and involving. So those are so good, so practical. um, And also gives us a little bit of sense of how relational the kingdom of God is.
1: Oh, amen to that. I completely agree. It's interesting what you're saying, because I was sharing this at um, Urbana, which is a big conference, 17,000, mostly for college and young adults. And Mm -hmm. a Hispanic young woman came up to me and she said, I have been trying to get um, our, she said, a bunch of us in the youth and uh, being both college and high school, she goes, we have a whole bunch of friends. And we realized that if we invited them to the movies and it's, it's a G movie and we paid their tickets, then they come out afterwards to youth group with us. But we cannot get our parents or the elders at our church to help. And so, we, you know, we chatted some more and she took my email and she wrote me a few weeks later, oh, they gave us the money for the tickets. And she said, we got 65 young adults to come out.
0: <laughs> wow. And
1: so I just end with that story to say, we, we do need to listen to our emerging adults and talk to our young adults, especially those who love Jesus and find out how can we empower them to reach their friends because these five practices are attractional. These young adults who had been invited and who had been included and involved and invested in after someone initiated with them, you know what? They're inviting. And it's like a discipleship wheel of attraction and not just one to our three friends, they're inviting. As I talk to them in the research, eight, nine, ten. My friends, my uncle, my aunt, my stepmom is now coming. Uh, and my boyfriend is coming. He brought two friends. And isn't that what we want? Mm-hmm. More unchurched people coming who can have the opportunity to experience um, trusting and following Jesus.
0: Yeah, it, this is great. I have. It's reminded me, first of all, of maybe something that. I need to say almost like as as a confession, you know, and maybe I just want to make it broad so that people listening also don't feel like they failed because mm-hmm. I feel like in a sense when I when I hear some of what you're saying, I can see the points where I failed in not using this, in not being inviting or maybe not being not investing in the emerging adults or not being inclusive. So I want to confess my own, you know, my own failure, but at the same time, I want to give people the hope that, okay, now you realize where you're at. Now you realize that maybe you haven't been paying attention to these, but I think with God's grace, there's always been the get up and walk again, right? Get up and do it. So I think there's there's still that hope that wherever you're at in your stage of you know, your church or your community, uh, if you see some of these not being played out by by you maybe who are the leader, you know there's still hope because now you are learning more. You have these tools now. You know that this help, and now is the time to say I want to get up and do it. You know I, get, I This is my chance to to. To learn from my failures and start involving and investing in people, right? That's what, that's what I wanted to say.
1: Um, that's awesome. I trust that we are all right on time in God's economy. You know, we lament and then we're resilient. And you don't even have to be an extrovert. You can do some of these practices as an introvert. I give some ideas on that too. So
0: Cool. Well, the bless upset. the
1: Lord, Beito. It's so good to be with you.
0: Thank you so much for this time. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think people are going to be uh, so benefited. This is going to be so fruitful in so many ways. Uh, there's still hope for the church. There's still hope for emerging adults. There's still lives being transformed. The spirit of God is still real. And now, now I some like I'm preaching, <laughs> but this is true. I love it. I am so confident in, in God's church to prevail because he said it was, and I'm confident in that. And I love that you're stepping in and offering some practical tools for the church. So thank you so much, Beth, for this time. Is there any last thought or blessing you want to even mention to the audience? I know you, you have, you're a pastor, so maybe you want to bless us with.
1: Yes, I'd love to bless you. So father, we ask that you would please equip us in every way. Um, Use us to further usher your kingdom um, on earth and into the lives of the young adults that we connect to on a daily basis. I pray that there might be something, just something, Lord, for everyone That uh, from this podcast that might uh, encourage them, Father, to continue to bear witness in their lives, both in deed and in word, Father, um, to you. Thank you, Father. And would you please um, bless each listener and keep them, Lord. In Christ's name, amen
0: there you go a blessing by beth Seversin here on the christian podcast thank you so much for your time have a great rest of your day and maybe see you later on hope i get the chance to talk to you later on bye-bye Thanks for listening to this episode of Christian Podcast. If you liked this episode, share it with friends and family. Make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review whenever you can. You can also visit christianpodcast.com to learn more about our show. Hasta la vista.